Uh, clap your hands, Rock Church. Come on, you excited to be in God's house this morning. Man, it's good to be with you. My name is Vince Freeman, and I have the honor and privilege of being our visual media pastor. So I get to work on cool projects like that. And what's exciting to me is we get to go out in the street and see like, what are people really saying about what we believe? And you are never left with a dull moment. So I'm excited that you're here. I wanna give a quick shout out to all of our campuses, City Heights, Chula Vista, El Cajon, my home campus, San Marcos, of course, all the way out in Oahu and Hawaii, and everybody watching church online. Can we give it up for our campuses joining us today? And as Ali said, we are celebrating our 21st annual marriage getaway out in the heat. I think it was 120 degrees out there. God bless you, married couples. If that heat won't make you fight, just Lord Jesus, protect them. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage last weekend. Thank you. We can uh, put up the photo. We've got two kids of our own, uh, my daughter Maya in the middle and Solana. She's gonna be nine months. And uh, man, I just wanted you guys to see what, what drives me every day. That's my family. <clears throat> this week, I have the honor and the privilege to continue our We Need to Talk series. Have you guys been blessed by it so far? Yeah. Pastor Travis and Maddie shut it down last week. I, if you weren't here, please go back, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check it out because she brought some practical wisdom about how we can overcome anxiety and depression in our lives. And for me, that message was a game changer for our church. So if you weren't here, please go back and watch it. Today, uh, I get to bring the word of God on what I think is everybody's second favorite F word, which is forgiveness. Because you're in church today, I hope that your favorite F word is food, like me. Here's the crazy part, whether you're a believer in Jesus and you've been coming to church for a long time, or whether this is new to you, maybe this is your first Sunday and you're checking Christianity out, I believe that everybody wants to be forgiven. I don't know a single person who's done something wrong who said, you know what, keep that grudge against me. I'm excited that people feel this way about me. Everybody wants to be forgiven. We've all done something wrong and we recognize that we desperately desire to be forgiven. And as you saw in the intro video, there's a lot of different definitions of forgiveness floating around out there. So for our time today, I wanna to give us a definition that I hope we can work with. It's gonna be on the screen. If you're taking notes, write this down. Forgiveness is not denying, excusing, or forgetting what has happened. Some of you just came and that's all you needed to hear today. Forgiveness is not denying, excusing, or forgetting what has happened. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards someone who has harmed you. Now here's the kicker, regardless of whether or not they actually deserve your forgiveness. Before we dive into this topic, let's pray, let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our mind to receive God's word today, amen? Bow your heads. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. As the song says, we surrender to you today. I pray that we would not leave the same. We desperately need you to speak in this moment. Use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. I pray they are pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard a story not long ago about a climber who attempted to scale one of the highest peaks in South America by himself at night. And an hour into his hike, he slipped on a patch of ice 
and he began to plummet towards the earth. Suddenly there was a jolt that nearly tore his body in half, and it was a safety rope. It had broken his fall, but it left him dangling on the side of the mountain. And in a moment of desperation, he cried out, God, if you are there, save me. And he heard a voice whisper back, cut the rope. Now the climber could reach his knife, but as he looked below him, he saw nothing but utter darkness. He decided he could not trust the voice, afraid of the unknown, so he did nothing. The next morning, a pair of climbers found his body dangling on the side of the mountain, but he was frozen to death, and he was only five feet off the ground. Now, if I'm honest, if you and I are honest, when we choose not to forgive, you and I are just like this climber. We're holding on to something that we think is keeping us alive, and in reality, it's the one thing keeping you from freedom. And as I prepared for this message, I asked myself, what's the number one reason why I think people don't forgive? And I'm convinced it's often because we don't want to. Many times our pride stands in the way and we justify our unforgiveness because we believe the other person doesn't deserve it. We want people to earn it from us. But the truth is you cannot earn someone's forgiveness. There's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. I'll say it again, there's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. See, trust can be lost and earned back, but forgiveness is a gift that is given. And by definition, no one deserves a gift. You cannot earn it. If there's any character in the Bible that I think would have the best case to not forgive someone outside of Jesus, it would be my man Joseph. He was hurt by the people closest to him, and he could have chosen to hold on to unforgiveness but we're gonna to see today in scripture how God moved in his life and allowed him to walk into freedom. And as you hear a story, I believe the spirit of God is gonna to speak to you. He might bring someone to mind. Could be a boss, a friend, a family member. And he's gonna ask you, would you be so brave to forgive? Don't ignore his voice. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna start Genesis chapter 37. If you don't know the story, I'm gonna give you a brief summary Joseph is the youngest of 11 boys. He's 17, he's handsome, and he's kind of annoying. He's been having these dreams and he's sharing them with his family, and it's not going so well. Genesis 37, starting with verse five, it says, one night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. He said, listen to this dream. We're out in the field, tying up bundles of grain, Suddenly my bundle stood up and all of your bundles gathered around and they bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So here's a side note. You gotta be careful with who you share your dreams with, family. Not everyone is gonna understand or see the vision that God has given you for the house, the book, the album, your life, your marriage. And you need to be careful with how you share them as well. In verse eight, it says, they hated him because of the way he talked about them. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. Because a little bit of discernment and a little bit of self-awareness goes a long way. That's for free. You can just put that in your pocket. We'll go back to the story. 
Verse nine, soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Joseph's brothers had plenty of reasons to hate him. And being the youngest child myself, I get it. You're cute, you're handsome, you might be funny, you catch a lot of flack. Any youngest children in here, you guys get it? You understand? It's a rough life, somebody's gotta live it. But the problem is, is that in their family, Jacob favored Joseph over all the other brothers, openly. And many of you know the story about the coat of many colors. It's so famous, they made a Broadway show about it. Jacob would have Joseph report on his brother's behaviors at time, and that only added to the sibling rivalry and the tension that mounted. To be the youngest and assume any type of power over the older siblings was essentially a violation. So one day, Joseph is heading out to check on his brothers, and they see him coming. They get so fed up, they're like, let's just kill him. And right before they do, they seize the opportunity to make a little money off of him. So they sell him as a slave to some strangers. Then they lie to their dad, they say he was killed by a wild animal, and if that wasn't enough, they go back, they stage the crime scene, they pour fake blood over his coat, and they give it to their dad. Now look, I don't know how your 4th of July went with your family, I don't know what it's like when you guys get together, everybody's got a little bit of family drama, but what they're doing is enough for an entire Netflix documentary. It would be number one trending today if it came out. So from there, Joseph's life is all over the place. He starts off as a slave, but he works incredibly hard. He lands a great job, he earns the respect of his boss, and then his evil boss's wife, she sees Joseph, she's like, let me get a piece of that. And Joseph is like, nah, I can't, I can't dishonor God. But his boss's wife is not taking, is not used to taking no for an answer. And so she lies and she says Joseph tried to rape her. Joseph gets fired, he's thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit, and he's ultimately forgotten about by everyone except his maker. And I can't think of a more humbling place to be than prison. As a prisoner, you don't have the rights to your own body. You can't go where you wanna go. You can't do what you wanna do. And every moment of your day is dictated by something or someone else. All he had was time. Time to evaluate his life and all the people that betrayed him. His brothers, his friends, his boss and maybe in his mind, his God. But I think God allowed all of this to happen in order to forgive. Because the first step in forgiveness is we have to release our pride. God has an incredible way of using human suffering to bring about humility in our lives. And I don't believe it's his will that we should suffer, but it is through his grace and his mercy that God will allow human suffering to happen in our lives so that we can be transformed by it. You ever get so deep into an argument, maybe with a friend or with your spouse, only to realize two-thirds of the way in that you're wrong? I hate being wrong, probably more than anything else in the world, which is why I try so hard to be right the first time. And it kind of starts off playfully, right? You're chatting about the location of a memory or who said what on a TV show, and it's going back and forth. Then it gets a little bit more serious, and you're like, no, I, I, I know what it is. 
And all of a sudden, you want to put that final nail in the coffin, right? So you whip out your phone, you Google it, you go to Wikipedia, and the evidence is staring you right in the face that you're wrong. And now you got to decide, do I admit defeat or do I hope they don't know? And what do I do? And you just you get that sinking feeling. Anybody? Is it just me? Y'all are being honest today. That's what it's like when we hang on to our pride and we don't forgive. Imagine arguing with God about why he should forgive you, but why you can't forgive someone else. In your heart, when you choose not to forgive, no matter what's happened to you, you're already starting off in the wrong. And when you read Joseph's story, over and over there's this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. And we know that the Lord was favorable to him because everywhere he went, Joseph succeeded. Whether he was in prison, whether he's in the palace, no matter what he did, he succeeded. But I think the Lord was with him in a deeply personal sense as well. I imagine that he's there with his arm around him. He's comforting him. He's in the prison cell with him. He's in chains with Joseph. The Lord knew that Joseph was innocent. He knew his heart, he knew his motives, and he knew his character. And he knew the plan that he had for him. And I came here today to tell you that if you're having trouble forgiving someone, the Lord is with you too. One of the most famous passages in scripture, Psalm 23, in verse four it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's with you in the dark pit if you've been sold out by your family. He's with you at your job when your coworkers have lied about you. And he's with you in the cell when you feel like everyone's forgotten about you. God hasn't forgotten about you. And family, because he's with you, he's speaking to you. And I believe when he speaks to us, he's asking us, would you humble yourself? Would you humble yourself and forgive? To forgive those who've hurt you because it's the pathway to freedom. I believe that God led Joseph to prison as a slave to teach him how to be free. The first step is we gotta release our pride. Let's fast forward a little bit in our story with Joseph. He spent years in prison at this point. God has been refining his character, smoothing out the rough edges. And Joseph is growing in humility. And one day, the king of the land named Pharaoh, he has a series of dreams that bring him great trouble, and none of his wise men can interpret them. But Joseph, he gets called up from prison because word has gotten out that he can interpret dreams. Pharaoh asks Joseph if this is true, and this is what he says, Genesis 41, 16. It's beyond my power to do this. Pause for a moment. Spent years in prison. This is his one opportunity to get out. The king of the land has plucked him out of prison to say, can you do this? And we know Joseph can. And he says, hey man, it's beyond my power. What humility he says. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And I love this line because it shows the humility that has shaped his character. Because Joseph released his pride and allowed God to transform him through, through humility, God is able to use him at a greater capacity. God gives him the interpretation of the dreams, but it's kind of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news is that there's a worldwide famine on the way. Everybody's about to run out of food. But the good news is that there are seven years before this takes place. God reveals all of this to Joseph. He's released from prison, 
And he's elevated to second in command over all of Egypt to put this plan in place. Now, once the famine hits, people from all over the world are coming to Egypt under Joseph's rule to buy food. And wouldn't you know it, who's hungry, out of food, desperate to feed their families, but Joseph's brothers. It's been 22 years since they sold their brother into slavery. They think he's dead. And a lot can happen in 22 years. Check this out. 22 years ago today, 9-11 hadn't happened yet. The first iPod, remember those? That was about to come out. And a gallon of gas was $1.80 in California. Yeah, okay. The brothers, they arrive from their journey from Canaan to Egypt. It's a 10-day ride on the back of a donkey. They buy food, and they don't recognize their brother. But Joseph recognizes them. Now look, if I'm Joseph, I'm hyped, because I'm super petty. I have a PhD in holding grudges from National University. <laughs> These guys, they wanted to kill me, they wanted to beat me up, they sold me into slavery, now their lives are in my hands, and I have the power to do with them whatever I want, and they don't know. That's the best part. Can I tell you all how petty I used to be? Have story time for a second? All right. The year is 2006. I am a sophomore in high school, and there is a girl that I desperately like. I've known her for years. Uh, I wasn't as tall or potentially handsome today, so I thought this was my one shot. I'm not gonna say her name because she might be watching. Um, I liked her so much, and I thought, I gotta shoot my shot. Sophomore year, I'm about to turn 16. This is it. I felt like she was giving me the vibes that she liked me too. We spent a lot of time together. And so I'm like, all right, come school. You know, I'm, I'm gonna ask her out. And school starts, and when you know it, there's a kid who's shorter than me. I was 5'5 five five at the time, 5'5, five five, 110 pounds. This kid was like 4'11, moved to our school from out of state, from New York, bad boy type. And she starts falling in love with this kid. I'm like, I can't believe it. I was getting ready to put it all on the line, right? So what do I do? <laughs> Did I move on like a normal teenager? No, I do not. I'm super petty. So I decide I'm going to stop talking to her for two years. It was a small school. There were 30 kids in my class. I saw her every day. And to top it all off, our parents worked together. Yeah, super petty. I would just look at her in the hallway and look right through her, all because she didn't like me. Like, it wasn't really her fault, I just wasn't her type. That's how petty I used to be. Pray for your pastor, okay? God is, he's done a work in me. So that's how I would have responded if I was Joseph. And I wish I had time to get into the details of the story. Please go back and read it. But Joseph is in a position with great power, and he's got a lot of options. He could kill his brothers, he could throw them into prison for the rest of their lives, or he could just starve them out. But what does he do? After a little back and forth, we see Joseph reveal himself to his brothers in the most dramatic fashion. He's weeping, he's overcome with emotions. And he says in Genesis 45, verse four, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. God's grace 
gave Joseph the power to do what was right, not what was natural. I'm gonna say it again. God's grace gave Joseph the power to do what was right, not what was natural. Amen. Amen. Joseph chose to release the power he had over his brothers. Now watch this. He hadn't forgotten what they did. He didn't excuse their evil behavior. But he relinquished the right to get even with them. And in his humility, he saw how God even used their evil actions to further his purpose. In order for you and I to walk in the freedom that forgiveness provides, first, we have to release our pride. But secondly, we have to release our power over others. When we are offended or betrayed or hurt by others, can we be honest and say it often gives us a false sense of power that only grows stronger when we choose not to forgive. When someone wrongs you that you already don't like, I don't know about you, but you might get a little excited because now it gives you the opportunity to justify your evil behavior. Oh, they talked about me behind my back, so now I gossip openly about them. He disrespected me, so now I humiliate him every chance that I get. Oh, she cheated on me, so now I've made it my life's mission to ruin hers. Bitterness is an invitation for our flesh to rule over us. Bitterness is an invitation for our flesh to rule over us. And I know that flesh can be a very weird Bible word. It's not something we toss around a lot. But I just want you to think of it as your default setting. If something happens to you that you don't like, that natural response, that's what the Bible calls your flesh. When you leave here, after we've lifted our hands and said, God, I surrender, and someone cuts you off on Rosecrans, that natural response, that's your flesh. When you go out to eat after today, and the food takes a little bit longer to come to you, that natural response, is your flesh, okay? So we understand what that is. What does a life that is ruled by the flesh look like? This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your flesh, here are the results, it's very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is pretty much anything you're gonna see on Netflix <laughs> that we go home and watch. They are in conflict with each other. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it's really important to guard your eyes because the eyes are the window of your soul. What you watch, you inherently approve of. The problem is, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It is a battle. And we can't do it alone. We're supposed to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's how Paul describes this battle a couple verses earlier. This is Galatians 5, 16 through 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And what the spirit desires is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other 
so that you're not able to do whatever you want. He's laying it out, it's very simple. It's okay to recognize that your flesh does not desire the things of God. I'm here to tell you it's okay to recognize your flesh does not desire that you forgive those who have hurt you. I know it, you know it, God knows it. But if you've been renewed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and gives you a supernatural grace to do the things that you did not think were possible. That's why it's so important for us to live lives that honor God so Christians can be the light. And people can say, how could you do that? Your father did unspeakable things to you. How are you able to move on? How are you able to be such a forgiving person? And you say, it's not me. In my flesh, I didn't want to. But the Spirit of God enables me to do things that are supernatural. Now here's what happens when we choose not to forgive. I got a friend, he's gonna come out and help me with this. Let's say I have a buddy, we'll call him Earl, and he wrongs me in a particular way. He's uh, one of our camera operators, he's a great guy. I use this example because he won't take it personally. Let's say we're having a chat and he disrespects me in some sort of way. Come on out, Earl. Now, I could, oh yeah, give it up for Earl. Come on, Earl. All right, not, not too much, because he disrespected me, okay? <laughs> pay attention to the story. Let's say Earl disrespects me, and I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm upset. And in my pride, instead of trying to resolve it, I hang on to that bitterness. And I think when that happens, the enemy has graciously supplied all of us with a pair of these. This is how he keeps us in bondage. The handcuffs were designed to do one thing and one thing only, keep people restrained. So when we're hurt, when we're upset and offended, we're angry. Side note, anger is a secondary emotion. A little psychology for you. Uh, Earl can't actually do anything to make me angry. He can hurt me, and then I can feel angry. He can disrespect me, and then I choose to get angry. But he can't make me angry just like he can't make me happy. It's a choice. So let's say he, he wrongs me and I get angry, it's my choice. And I wanna make sure it, it never happens again, right? So I take these cuffs and I say, you know what, Earl? In my pride, I choose to hang on to bitterness. I wanna exercise my power over you so that you can't hurt anybody else. You're better looking than me, you're stronger than me. I don't even know if these handcuffs are gonna work. The painful irony is, is that I'm the one that ends up in bondage. So now Earl leaves, he gets to live his life, and I'm stuck, I'm trapped. Look how happy he is. And the reality is, the more I struggle with these, the tighter they're just gonna get. And instead of understanding what I need to release in order to be free, I just start managing the pain. I start looking at pornography because it doesn't hurt me as bad. I start doing drugs or drinking way too much to numb the pain. And I, when I'm in bondage, I, I can't serve my wife very well like this. It's hard for me to hold my kids when I'm in bondage. Now I can't fulfill the call that God has on my life because I'm trapped. Earl's gone. But is there anybody out there who's tired of living like this? 
who's tired of being chained, who's saying, God, if there's anything you could do, would you set me free? We have to release our pride. And we've got to release our power over others. And the funny thing is, is that these handcuffs are so cheap. The power is in my hands. The third thing we got to do is we got to release our pain to Jesus. If we don't release our pain to Jesus, our pride and our newfound sense of power will ultimately fuel our pain. Pride, power, and pain make for a dangerous combination. I want you to think of any world leader, any celebrity, any politician, anybody famous. See if you see those three things out of whack. Pride, power, pain. Maybe think of a dark time in your life, and I promise you one of those areas has been affected. But your pain has to go to somebody who can handle it. Jesus has been through the worst physical, psychological, and emotional pain that any human has ever gone through. And in Hebrews 4, 15, it says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one in every respect who's been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. That's good news for you and I today, family. Jesus, Jesus was betrayed by not one, but two of his closest friends. Judas sold him, but Peter denied him, and he still called him friend. On the day he was executed by Romans who were experts in torture, he stayed silent before his accusers. And as he was dying on the cross, he took the crushing weight of our sin on his body, and he said, Father, forgive him. The good news is that God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't done first. In Colossians 3, 13, Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Amen. It's not a suggestion. This is a command from scripture. Amen. Your pain has to go to somebody who can handle it. I'm here to tell you today, your friends and your family are not designed to handle your pain. Your children, they're not designed to handle all of your pain. Your therapist is not designed to handle all of your pain. Your pastor is not designed to handle all of your pain. Jesus is the only one who can transform your pain into purpose. He suffered and he died so that you wouldn't have to carry the weight of what has happened to you. So why today are you hanging on to it when he said it is finished? Not only did Joseph release his pain, but he blessed his brothers. And after Joseph forgave him, here's what he said. Genesis 45, nine through 11. Now hurry back, tell my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. That was the best part. You're gonna be near me. You, your children, his brothers, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, all that you have, go get it all and bring it back. I'm gonna provide for you there because there's five more years of famine on the way. And when you release your pain, family, you have the opportunity to bless others. People won't even be able to believe your attitude or your disposition. They're gonna say, how is this possible? How can you bless someone who's openly cursed you? How can you forgive someone who's hurt you on such a deep level? But this is the power and the freedom that forgiveness provides. 
You can go from being a victim bound in pain and pride to being a conqueror, able to bless others, even those who have hurt you. And even though it sounds impossible, we can't do this without the Spirit of God. Pastor Travis wrapped up the message last week with this verse, 1 Peter 5 and 7. He says, cast your cares, your anxiety, your burdens, your pain, because he cares for you. And here's the wild thing. Forgiveness, it's simple. It's not easy to do, but it is simple. And if you don't believe me, read your Old Testament. Do you know what we used to have to do to be forgiven by God? I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but it was a lot of blood. All we have to do now is ask. And I know some of you are listening to this message and you're upset. And you're saying, Pastor Vince, you don't know what they did to me. You're sitting in San Marcos and you're saying, you have no idea the pain I've been through. You're across the ocean in Oahu. If only you knew what I had gone through. And you're right. I don't know what you've been through. But there is a God who does. And he's asking you, would you humble yourself? Would you release your pride? Would you release your power over others? And would you give me your pain? Would you release your pain to Jesus? And I believe everyone in this room has a decision to make today. Some of you, you cannot forgive because you have yet to receive forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that today. For others, I would say most of you, you have received that forgiveness. But this entire time, there's been this nagging feeling, there's been an image, there's been a memory, a moment in the back of your mind, the Holy Spirit is pressing and he's saying, this is the thing I want you to let go of. Don't deny it. You don't have to excuse it. I understand your pain. I'm with you. I see it all. But would you let go? Lewis B. Smeads, author, theologian, he said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and find out that prisoner was you. I think it's time to set some captives free today. I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us right now. Close your eyes, do whatever you need to do. And if that's you today, and you wanna receive the Father's forgiveness, or you're saying there's somebody in my life that I need to forgive, you can pray this after me. There's no magic in these words, it's just an acknowledgement of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing today. Father, I recognize I need your forgiveness. I admit my sin before you today. I don't want to carry it anymore. I believe you died and rose again to set me free. I choose now to forgive others as you have forgiven me. I release my pride, my power, and my pain to you today. Make me new again. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer and there's somebody that God is calling you to forgive or you've never received God's forgiveness, I want you to take a bold step in faith. It's one thing to do it in your heart, but today you get an opportunity to live this out. And if that's you, I want you to stand and I want you to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life. You're saying, God, I surrender. We just sang this song, God, I surrender. This is the moment of surrender. So on the count of three, if there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive or you need to receive the forgiveness, I want you to stand and I'm gonna pray over you. One, two, three. Stand right now to your feet. Come on, amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of people. Stay standing. I want to pray over you that the Spirit of God seals this word in your heart today. Father, thank you so much that you give us the ability to do the supernatural, to go beyond our flesh and to say, God, I have to let go. It's time. I choose to release my pain to you today. I release my pride and my power over others. So for those who have made that decision today, God, would you give them an opportunity to do that, to relinquish the vengeance that they've had in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.